The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report and acetylcysteine. We can't ignore the disclaimer. What's we can't that? just move what, on. I don't, what are you talking about? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So I was in the line to check out the grocery store. Normally it'd be the U scan, but I had to get in line because uh -huh. all the U scans were down. Okay. Lady in front of me, of course, writing a check. With a pen? <laughs> With on paper. Wow. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm great, Patty Devers. How are you? I'm living my best life and what did you do when you saw this woman writing a check with an ink pen? I pulled out my Palm Pilot and drew a picture. <laughs> now that we've alienated all the check writers out there. And Palm Pilot users. So that's right. This is a podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. And writing checks. And if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you so much. You should check oh, out our reviews. And if you, you like them, there. you should yeah. leave a review and give us some stars She's and so those witty. other things you were going to say. Talk about witty. And if you're a check writer and you're angry at Michael and you have more feedback for him regarding your Palm Pilot, you can send all of that by email to podcast at gdx.net. Though, if they're writing checks, what are the odds they're using email? No, it's going to be a fax. <laughs> good thing we got that fax machine. I mean, right. good thing we didn't give that number out to everyone, too. Oh, here comes one now. Oh. Oh, looks like it's printing a cover letter first. Yeah, these things are super efficient. Look how fast this thing is moving. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. Who's this? Uh, let's take a look. Who's this from here? Oh, no. It's from Joe. Oh, no, how do I cancel the rest of this? Maybe just pull the plug. All right, I think that did it. So um, what are we talking about today, Patty? Well, I think we're planning on talking about NAC or N-acetylcysteine. Oh, boy, this is a big one. Yeah, it's kind of and a hot topic, right? Yeah, and I seem to remember you actually using, telling me stories that you guys use this in the hospital setting as well, not just over-the-counter supplements yeah, when like, you think about it. I didn't even know it was a supplement until I came here because when we were in the hospital... We gave knack for things like Tylenol overdose, yeah. or we put it in nebulized treatments for, like a mucomist for patients sure. who had asthma or COPD. Sure. So when I came here, I was like, what are you guys doing with knack? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you guys, you were like, just give this. It's like, how's it work? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's the mechanism of action? You didn't know that it was an antioxidant precursor. Well, what they initially thought in the research was that it formed some, t some type of adductor adjunct with an actual metabolite of acetaminophen, and they thought that was the mechanism of action, but that doesn't exactly appear to be true. Yeah, and acetylcysteine is so cool because it has so many different mechanisms of action, not just the glutathione elevation aspect, but it is a precursor to glutathione production and can strongly influence glutathione production, so that's one thing. But it's been studied in a lot of clinical conditions. Okay, so we just talked about how they gave it for Tylenol overdose. Where else do they use NAC? I think about it uh, a lot when it comes to respiratory infections. Mm -hmm. 
URIs, pneumonias, things like that. It's been used quite a bit in the literature, studied quite a bit in the literature, and it seems to have a couple different mechanisms. Certainly, it has the glutathione-raising property, which is going to help deal with any sort of oxidative stress that might accompany uh, or you know, even the inflammation that can accompany a URI. But it also has some antimicrobial properties in and of itself mm-hmm. and has been shown to inhibit biofilm as, uh, production in the upper respiratory tract. So that's that's pretty cool It's that it can do all those things. Yeah, and we know that it's a derivative of the amino acid cysteine and like you said, then goes on to make glutathione. But I'll tell you that as someone who's prescribed this in the hospital many of times, when you give it orally like in a liquid or when they put it in a nebulizer treatment to right. treat a respiratory disease, it's the, the actual N-acetylcysteine has a sulfhydryl group on it, so yeah. it's sulfur. It smells like rotten eggs, and we would be like, ugh, it would make the entire emergency room or the entire medical floor smell like rotten eggs. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of sulfur in it. Well, it's a, a sulfury little supplement. Well, when you give it orally as a supplement, does it have that same smell? Yeah, it's one of those that I would leave in the bottle and not put in like my little travel container because after a couple days of exposure to oxygen it will certainly start to smell like sulfur doesn't mean that it's no good anymore which was my first thought when i started in the supplement industry i was like this is no good anymore but uh, that's not necessarily the case okay so you said they use knack for respiratory disorders and i talked about how we used to put it in um, nebulizing treatments what are the ways that's used like what are some of those diseases of the lung where it's helpful yeah, I the first time that I encountered N-acetylcysteine as an intervention uh, was with patients who had pneumonia um, or even walking pneumonia, mm-hmm. and it was pretty incredible how effective it was, uh, even when a lot of different interventions were not doing so well. And so that's that's kind of like my home base when I think about N-acetylcysteine. Mm-hmm. But you can certainly think about it with like any sort of bronchitis. Um, you know, even pulmonary fibrosis. You can also think about it with cystic fibrosis because uh, another one of the actions of N-acetylcysteine is that it has a mucus thinning quality to it, whether that's due to the uh, antioxidant effects of the glutathione production or some of the other, like the biofilm stuff that we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it does have that mucus thinning property, which we, we know it used is used commonly for, right? Right, right. And Sometimes in the hospital, we also used it intravenously to prevent contrast-induced nephropathy. So if someone has bad renal disease or poor renal function and you give them IV contrast, that's toxic to your kidney. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you really have to get a contrasted CT for whatever reason. So sometimes we would give IV N-acetylcysteine prior to them getting this contrast diet or a bicarb drip. But NAC is helpful there, too. To raise glutathione, prevent Mm -hmm. free radical damage. Makes sense? Yeah. Okay, well, these are a lot of really important uses for NAC, yeah. but they all appear to be acute medicine-based, right, in the hospital or acute sick patients. Except for, like, cystic fibrosis and some of those, but, but like, yeah. But, like, so many patients currently take oral NAC at home. It's a supplement, and a lot of people use it. Yeah, Functional take- medicine doctors use it. You I'm take it. it. Yep. Right. So I think my question to you is, although I have a pretty good grasp on when I use it acutely, in what types of patients would you consider supplementing NAC you know, ambulatory patients just optimizing their health and wellness? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm not necessarily someone who's like a certain supplement for all, uh, but I do think that there's some indications that I look out for. You know, first and foremost, if I've run a test and I have suspicions around adequate glutathione levels, Mm -hmm. then it's a really great way to improve glutathione. 
Uh, so if we have that information, that that would be helpful. Makes and that sense. would be one intervention. Um, but I also think about people who kind of have like long standing toxicity issues, okay. either in the past or even currently. Uh, so like a classic example would be, you know, maybe somebody in the farming industry that, you know, is exposed to a lot of pesticides or, you know, what we hear a lot on the phones is like the salon worker, you know? You know, that's so, that's something people don't think about, like all the toxicity that is there with like hair dyes and things that happen in a hair oh, salon. Yeah. So that's a great one, Michael. Yeah. Or, you know, something like that where I'm wanting to support their detoxification mm-hmm. because they're constantly being exposed. Um, or if, you know, they tend to be somebody who catches everything that comes around, um, you know, and I have some suspicions around overall inflammation responses and, you know, how, how well that's working or immune response. Um, so it can also be good, like preventatively for like cold and flu season, stuff like that. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to take it. That being said, I don't, I, I do select, I'm a little more selective when I use it. Yeah, I would be selective too, mainly because it smells like rotten eggs. You know, the thing about that is we always say that something smells like rotten eggs. Uh-huh. But when I really think about it, what do rotten eggs smell like? <laughs> eggs. No. No? No. Eggs, normal eggs, when you make eggs, they, they don't have that foul, disgusting sulfur smell. It's just when they get old and you eat them. Why? You, you, is it your opinion that when you go to make eggs in the morning, all you smell is something like knack or sulfur? I don't like eggs. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, I'll eat them because I know they're <laughs> supposedly good for me, but I don't Clean. I don't enjoy it. I they're smothered in hot sauce, I can tell you that. What? But anyway, I mean, you can see that you've got these primary indications that are approved for hospital use, intervention, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then you've got all these off-label uses that has been studied a lot in the, the peer-reviewed literature. Uh, so you can see where it'd be important for people to kind of have access to this, and especially, you know, some of us functional medicine docs to, to be able to, you know, provide it for patients when needed. But I will say... You're, you're going to hear about this. It's, a, it's kind of a buzzword these days because actually the FDA is taking a look at NAC because, like you just said, it's used as a medication, but it's also a supplement and being used for things off-label. So the FDA is taking a, a really a, another look at this as to whether it's a supplement or a medication. Which is interesting because, I mean, there's precedent for certain things being both. Right, like omega-3 fatty acids, for example. Or vitamin C. Right. That's used in the hospital yep. setting. Yep, So... You know, it makes you wonder kind of what what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But regardless, to your point, it's sort of got words gotten out there a little bit. And what we're seeing is uh, inventories of N-acetylcysteine is starting to run low out there. Uh, Better stock up. Because people are starting to hoard it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there yes. we go. We've got toilet paper, gasoline, and now N-acetylcysteine. <laughs> Make sure your cupboard's full of all three. Wait, maybe, maybe don't put gasoline in your cupboard. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification, Patty. <laughs> I'll save us a few faxes That's over right. the next week. <laughs> So I have an idea. Uh-oh. What kind of an idea, Michael? Well, I was thinking, I've been thinking about N-acetylcysteine. We're having this conversation, like, you know, about it being a drug or maybe a constituent. Right. You know, it's okay. an amino acid derivative. And uh-huh. so I'm wondering, what if I just came up with, like, a list of different things? Okay. And you have to tell me whether that thing is either a generic name for a drug. Okay. Or an herbal constituent. <sighs> well, let me just put this disclaimer out there. Although we've all had some pharmacology training, I have never had any herb or plant-based training. And many people hear some of these things on television, so you watch all these commercials with all these drug names. The the herb names are where I'm going to get stuck, I think, because I don't know any of them. Patty, I think the important thing here is that the more wrong you are, the better it is for the audience. (laughs) 
All right, I'll take the hit. All right, Patty. Well, you know how this goes. Let's get the suspenseful music rolling. Let's put an arbitrary amount of time on the <laughs> clock. And let me make sure I've got the buzzers ready. We're going to be using this one quite a bit. Warm it up. Just give it, warm it up a little bit. I'm really nervous about this game, Michael. I have my game face on. You know I get very competitive. I know you do. This won't be embarrassing at all. <sighs> Are you ready? No. Starting with your first word. Go ahead. Didanosine. Didanosine. Drug or constituent? Constituent? <sighs> Next one. Go ahead. Leflunomide. Oh. I had one of those removed by my dermatologist last year. <laughs> I know what that is. That's a constituent. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Sesquifilandrone. Isn't that... That's an ancient Roman orator. <laughs> Sesquifilandrine. I'm sorry. Sesquifilandrine. Oh, which is it, Michael? Sesquifilandrine <laughs> or sesquifilandrine? That's my bad. Constituent. It was odds. Just playing the odds there. Next one. Mm-hmm. Asenapine. Hmm. Drug. Falcaranol. Hmm. I think that's where the mothership is supposed to contact me. <laughs> um, drug. <sighs> Legustolide. <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds delicious. It's a constituent. Campesterol. <laughs> <laughs> that's a constituent. Safinamide. Drug. Romadepsin. What? Romadepsin. Drug. Last one. Uh huh. Echinacoside. <laughs> That's what I'm going to commit at the end of this game. <laughs> I'm going to say it's a drug. <sighs> Swing and a miss. Well,. Patty, the good news is huh. that you got six of them. Well, that's six more than I thought I'd get, to the, be completely honest. The bad news is that the buzzer button is on fire. <laughs> Your face, you just had way too much glee hitting that button. I just want to let the audience know I was watching you. You're no, just like, hee 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 over there. I think the glee is, is how similar these things sound to each other. <laughs> and so mean? it's really hard oh, to the, discern. The, the words. Yeah. I thought you meant the buzzers. Well, Patty, how about we get back to a little bit around NSL oh, 16. Um is there anything else over there that you got on some of the clinical benefits or clinical applications of N-acetylcysteine? Well, we talked about some of the just general concepts and ways we use it in the hospital, but there's a lot of really interesting cutting-edge research around NAC supplementation, and one of the big areas is around psychiatric disorders. That's interesting. Right? And so you think, okay, how in the world does this antioxidant affect change in psychiatric disorders? Mm -hmm. So remember we talked about the glutamate receptors? Yeah. Right? So we know glutamate receptors in the brain are excitatory. Correct. And we know that in the brain there's this cysteine glutamate exchange that happens. Yeah. And so they're thinking that NAC might actually decrease neuroinflammation by changing that connectivity. That's interesting. I also wonder whether there could be a secondary aspect of it, you know, being an antioxidant or supporting hmm. antioxidant status and how that might relate to decreasing inflammation in the brain. I mean, it's it makes sense, but when you look dive down into some of the psychiatric literature, they're actually doing 
some like really good double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled studies using NAC and showing some improvement in things like schizophrenia, interesting, addiction disorders, mood disorders, bipolar, and even OCD. So you'll see that there's some really good cutting-edge research around supplementation of NAC as an adjunct to somebody's therapies around psychiatric illness, but that's not the only place they're studying NAC supplementation. No, interestingly, they're also studying it in fertility, specifically as it relates to polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS. Um, and some of the things there is that it's been well studied that N-acetylcysteine uh, may ameliorate insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And so we know that there's that connection between insulin resistance and PCOS. Right, right, right. Uh, so they did a study where they uh, randomized control trial. They gave N-acetylcysteine on top of Clomid. And hmm. uh, the control group obviously was just taking the Clomid. And they found that uh, adding the N-acetylcysteine increased the both ovulation and pregnancy in the experiment group. Well, then is that based on oxidative stress again or is there a different mechanism there yeah they think it's probably a multitude of things so it's probably the fact that it improved insulin sensitivity Mm -hmm. um and so that that's going to have an effect on fertility and and ovulation and then they also are thinking that uh, n-acetylcysteine has been shown to have anti-apoptotic effects oh great word right thing and i didn't write it but So (laughs) what they found was that there was actually a higher number of follicles in the NAC group compared to the the placebo group because part of the infertility is you have this apoptosis of the follicles. Mm -hmm. And so that might be another thing. And then they're also suggesting that maybe uh, the inflammation modulating effects of NAC contribute as well. So it's kind of this multifaceted approach. So it is. It's like a super supplement. Yeah, a super supplement. And honestly, it's it's pretty generally well tolerated. Um, It's... There's has been some side effects, but they're pretty rare. Things like nausea, vomiting, maybe skin rash, stuff like that. But um, at normal kind of supplement doses, like the 600 to 1200 milligram range, mm-hmm. it's pretty darn safe. Uh, larger doses, there there might be some more some bigger concerns. Yeah, and there are some rare concerns, like you just mentioned, because some of what makes NAC so great is can also be potentially a problem mm-hmm. in certain patient populations. Like for example. NAC can potentiate the effect of nitrates in vasodilation. That's why NAC is so good in renal renal patients when you're giving them some type of contrast to prevent that nephropathy because it's a vasodilator. So if you're on a vasodilating medication that's nitrate-based, NAC can potentiate that. Right. Yeah, and, you know, don't you just kind of get the sense that we don't even, we're just scratching the surface of N-acetylcysteine with all these various effects Mm -hmm. on hormone signaling, metabolism, antioxidant capacity, inflammation mediating, you know, mucus alterations. Like it's pretty amazing all the stuff it can do. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Question of the day. Please, can we get rid of that alarm? Never. Oh, Michael. Question of the day. So flabbergasted. I could not agree more with that <laughs> sentiment. I'll keep working on it. <laughs> Please don't. Well, why don't we ask the question of the day, sir? Yeah, what is it? Well, we've been talking about NAC or N-acetylcysteine being a precursor to glutathione, uh-huh. right? And how important it is as an antioxidant. I think the question is... What are the other parts of glutathione? What are the other Mm. constituents or precursors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we think of three amino acids, right? So we've got cysteine, which is one of them. So Mm -hmm. that's where we're talking about N-acetylcysteine. The other two are glutamate, 
or glutamic acid. Some people say glutamine. Those are relatively interchangeable, but if we're being specific, it's actually glutamate. We like or to be specific. Acid. We're specific. We're specific people, yeah. And then um, the last one is uh, glycine. And so that's important. The other thing to know is to put all that stuff together, you need various cofactors, right? Mm -hmm. You need things like magnesium, you think things like vitamin B6, and zinc is part of that as well. So not just important to have the actual amino acid precursors, but the cofactors that are required for the enzymes to make it. And, you know, everyone seems to point out the importance of cysteine and NAC as it relates to glutathione production because it was considered that rate-limiting step, right? Yeah, it's a pretty prevalent message yeah. out there that cysteine is the rate-limiting step. But I think that that's being debated, actually, because even when we were talking about methylation, I saw some literature around glycine being the rate-limiting step there. Yeah, and... There's a really great, there's a couple good articles that suggest that the marker pyroglutamic acid, which is on the organic acids portion of the NutriVal test or the Metabolomics Plus, uh, that that's a good indicator of potential needs for glycine as it relates to glutathione production. And that if you see low glycine in supplement, uh, if you see, sorry, high pyroglutamic acid, it might indicate low glycine, and then you can supplement with glycine to improve glutathione production. And so that's, that's kind of interesting as well. Okay, so if you order a NutriVal on your patient, mm -hmm. we're going to have you covered on a lot of different bases. You're going to get a measurement of total glutathione. We're going to look at those precursors, cysteine, glutamate, glycine. But we're also going to look at urinary pyroglutamic acid. So you get a lot of insight into your antioxidant status there. Yeah, and then you can also look at things like lipid peroxides, 8-hydroxydeoxyguanosine, 8-OHDG, to see if there's oxidative stress on board. Okay, well, that was a lot of really important information we just laid out there around NAC. But I want to circle back to one thing. Okay. You used the word anti-apoptotic earlier. Uh-huh. And I think that's my new favorite word. Sounds more scientific than anti-cellsplode, right? <laughs> Next time on The Lab Report, biofilms. Yeah, we're not going to talk about movies, are we? It's a biopic, Patty. Oh. I know they're your favorite. Yep. Lincoln. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Man, that Palm Pilot really was short-lived, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of that was more short-lived than the Palm what? Pilot was the Laserdisc Flare. To be honest, I'm not even sure I remember what you're talking about. Was that for movies or, or music? What was on there? Exactly. <laughs>